Welcome to episode 136 of In Touch with iOS, a podcast that talks about iPhone, iPad, Apple Watch, Apple TV, and related technologies. I'm your host, Dave Ginsburg, and my host, co-host, uh, Warren Sklar is here. How are you doing, Warren? I'm like tongue-tied. Thought, thought I just got a promotion. I was uh, getting excited for well, a second. We're, uh, we're co-hosts. <laughs> You're, you're the host. I'm. I'm. I'm just here. Um, I'm. I'm good. Uh, cold. Um, yeah, me um, too. Kind of dig out again this morning, uh, a little bit. But uh, otherwise, uh, as I told you before we started, it's Friday tomorrow. So there yes, you go. it is. And uh, well, so also want to welcome back to the show, Miss uh, Miss Shelley Brisbane, the author and podcaster. Uh, thanks for coming back to the show, Shelley. How you doing? Well, thanks for having me. Yes, and uh, you probably are not experiencing as cold as weather as we are, but <laughs> well, we're having a bit of a cold front. I'm in Austin, Texas, and uh, yeah. a few days ago it was probably in the 50s, and it's it's like low 30s now. And because there's yeah. rain, the whole city is losing its mind. <laughs> yeah, wow. we got, and we got plenty of snow. So, right. um, so uh, we got a good show for you this week. Of course, uh, uh, Shelley has a great book, iOS Access for All. We're going to talk about that and accessibility, as well as lots of news stories and uh, and and a little bit of focus on accessibility this week. So, uh, why not we just jump right in and uh, talk about what's going on uh, this week in the world of Apple? Um, first story caught my eye. This is an Apple Insider. Um, more than a hundred. Million people are wearing the Apple Watch, an analyst says. Uh, uh, Apple Watch crossed an important threshold in December where wearable uh, hit an installed user base of over 100 million, according to statistics, of course, compiled by an analyst. Um, in the research, uh, in the research uh, published by this website, uh, they estimate the adoption is accelerating, which I'm not surprised. About 30 million users embracing the platform in 2020. Um, this uh, figure almost uh, surpasses the number of new Apple Watch users in, in the last four years combined. Um, um, you know, this is this is great to see, and I think a lot of people are are using the Apple Watch just for I think fitness is a is a big thing and tracking your your health and uh, and uh, Shelly, do you have an Apple Watch? Do you use it? I do. Uh, I don't wear it every single day, but I do have nope. one, and I. Um... You know, I, I like it. I, I was a relatively late adopter. I got a Series 4 after the Series 5s came out because I got a deal. Uh, but I yeah. enjoy it. And Warren, of course, uh, as you don't know, Shelly, but last week he, he upgraded to the Series 6 just because uh, of beta. It was an, uh, <laughs> I, well, yeah, I... I I had the I put the beta on and I had the um, uh, unlock uh, with the mask thing working and then I broke it and then I couldn't get it working again so I wanted to uh. watch but, <laughs> but I, that's the story of that but uh, yeah uh, you know I you know, just thinking about it, I remember when people were asking me what is that thing on my wrist um, you know not that long ago when I had the series zero when it first came out and they were like what yep. is it what does it do and and now it's you you can't go too far without you know not seeing one. Um, so, uh, yeah, well, there's three of us that have them here, three out of the million. So go for it. Yes. Go on. Many, many millions more, I think, is going to happen. So, Oh, and with the new face to unlock, you know, this this whole thing that's about to drop, I bet it sells a few more. Um, I bet it. I bet it does. With the, like, uh, the, unlock, numbers with could, the mask. Yep. To be able to unlock your uh, iPhone, with your, uh, unlock your iPhone with your, with, the, with your Apple Watch with a mask on. Yep. Um, then uh, next story, this was a 9 to 5 Mac. Uh, uh, iPhone 12 mini sales continue to lag in early 2021, as uh, data is suggestion, suggesting uh, new reports. Today cites uh, uh, data from CounterPoint to research claiming that the iPhone 12 mini accounts for just 5% of total iPhone 12 sales during the first half of January in the U.S. This is only the latest report of growing catalog of data suggesting that weaker than expected demand uh, for the iPhone mini. Uh, and the uh, uh, they're saying that uh, the, the sales, of course, are about five percent, and 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 it's this just keeps dropping. And actually, I'm kind of surprised because some there are a lot of people. In, in fact, I know a lot of friends I have do like the iPhone 12 Mini, uh, but it is it is pretty small. And as Warren and I both have the uh, the 12 Pro Max, it's a little different size there. So, uh, uh, Warren, what do you think of this? Uh, this I wonder if Apple's going to even stop stop making it, which is very possible. Maybe I mean five percent of iPhone sales is still probably a lot of money. Um, you yeah, know, they're. I'm not sure how there's. You know, they're. You know, if their production allows it, that they could just continue making them and just produce less of them next year. 
where if they continue on, then, you know, I could see them doing that. Um, you know, it, it, I, I think it was a lot of, you know, a lot of people were like, we want it because we can't have it. And then when it came out, it was so close to the regular 12 um, that, you know, people decided not to go that small. Um, but, you know, I, again, it's not for you. It's not for me. Right. No, too small. And uh, Shelly, which, which I, do you have an iPhone 12 as a, as, right. the, the, as your personal daily driver? Personal device, actually, I own a 10R. Oh, I you lost your mic, Shelly. <laughs> I did. Sorry about that. Uh, I okay. own a 10R. Oh. I have, it, wow. it just spelled again. That is a little bit. <laughs> I got to screw that down a little tighter. Sorry about that. So I own a 10R. I have a 12 and 12 Pro sort of loaners right now, and I'm really enjoying them. Uh, But And I'm sad to hear about the Mini because I was a fan of the SE, and I I like the idea that people have options for smaller devices because I think the sort of relentless race toward larger phones, among other things, makes phones more expensive. And I suspect, and it's not so much an Apple Store thing now because of the pandemic, but I suspect when people line up the four phones that have the identical processor and they go, hmm, right. 12 mini, 12, 12 Pro, I think I'll take a 12. I, I think yeah. probably the 12 cannibalized the mini a lot, which is too bad. Kind of, kind of the sweet spot. But we're going to talk about, I want to hear your thoughts on the on the 12 uh, that, you, that you were able to get some demos sure. from Apple and your accessibility in a little bit here. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I would not be at all surprised that uh, that Apple decides that they've already, from what the rumors are, saying that uh, the production is starting to, to, to curb out a little bit here. So well, it'd be interesting to see what happens. Uh, next story, this was on Mac Rumors. Uh, the Gmail iOS app has out of date warning after two months of no updates as Google delays the privacy labels. Uh, though Google has promised to update its suite of apps, it's going you know, again back to December. You know, we're in the, almost we're February here as we record this. Uh, that uh, majority of their apps have gone months without an update, uh, and uh, continues to be an interesting saga to what app what Google is waiting for. Uh, other than of course they don't want to have the tracking uh, with this as well, uh, but. Uh, there, there has been a lot of speculation that Google is hesitant because of the privacy label, but they aren't, but they aren't uh, saying anything. And a lot of uh, negative feedback is is out there as you hear it on social media. Um, but uh, there was an update since this article was released that Google has pushed a server side update that removes the out of date warning when attempting to sign into a new account in the Gmail app. So, uh, Shelly, I don't know if, you, if you've been familiar with this story or what's been going on with Google and uh, why they're delaying it. But what did you think of this? Uh, I, I haven't followed it, but I'm just going to go out on a limb and speculate and say a couple of things. So first of all, for Google, G- e- Gmail specifically, Google mm-hmm. has all that information about the contents of your Gmail account back on the server. They don't even right. need your iOS device, uh, certainly for browsing and for anything else that you're doing on your phone where you're generating new searches and stuff. They'd like to be able to dig into your privacy, but for the Gmail mm-hmm. one specifically. Also, how many people are using the Gmail app? I wonder. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I do. And actually, you're funny you say that because I don't normally use it, but I do have it on my, my phone. But I, I do like the fact that it actually incorporates uh, multi-factor authentication through the Gmail app itself because I went, I had to sign into my Google account on my my work computer today to access something, and you just all I had to do is open up my Gmail app and it it, it, it did the multi factor authentication. Then you had to tap the number that was on the screen, so it was kind of cool that I did that. And I didn't have to have an authenticator app to do that. So um, it's not well, a bad app, actually. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I I've, I've it? used it. it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I make that joke just because, like, I, I downloaded a bunch of email apps to try and decide whether I wanted to switch away from mail at one point, and I remember yeah. thinking I like the Gmail app. I've some some specific issues with Google Apps because of accessibility, but the Gmail sure. app itself is not terrible. But I don't know many people who are using alternative email apps who have chosen the Google app. Right. No. Uh, uh, I believe our friend Chuck uh, Joiner does use the Gmail app. I think he likes it as his full time daily driver. Uh, well, there you but, go. Uh, Good to know. <laughs> so, so, so if I if I recall, uh, Warren, what did you think of this? Uh, this is, continues the saga with with uh, this privacy. I, I don't use a Gmail app. I do have a Gmail uh, as one of my accounts. I do use the, the Google app. It's uh, basically, it's, it opens up a Google search um, thing. And then I actually use it more than 
if I'm if I'm looking for something, I don't ask Siri because she doesn't know anything. Um, so <laughs> I'll go on to uh, this Google app. <laughs> the, I'll go on to the Google app, and uh, it, it actually works pretty well for me. Uh, but yeah, you know, I, I think we mentioned it before. I think I think they're trying to figure out what permissions are actually asking for before they before they actually do this because I think they're not even sure at this point right. what what they're gonna tell Apple that they're doing. So I don't, it's, they're stalling for sure, but I don't think it's fully malicious. I think they're just trying to get their T's oh. crossed, I's dotted, yeah. things like that. The ducks in a row. Ducks in a row. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then uh, next story here is actually a, a product announcement that uh, Mac Rumors has talked about. It's uh, from uh, our our friends at Sateki. Uh, they launched a dual-sided two-in-one USB charger that's actually for the I, Apple Watch and the AirPods. It's the launch of a USB-C watch uh, AirPods charger, uh, which is a two-in-one accessory that is able to charge both the AirPods and the Apple Watch at the same time. So basically what you could do is you uh, you plug the, uh, uh, you, you you plug in the, uh, the 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 adapter to charge your AirPods in in the USB C port, and then you can lay your watch on top of it, and that's like the size, probably the size of the face of of an Apple Watch, and it's exclusively being sold at at Apple for forty nine ninety five, and uh, it has a like I said, it's got a dual side design, because um, one side there's an Apple Watch charging puck, and then the other side there's a Qi Qi based wireless charging, so you can do Qi charging as well as wired charging, and have two devices in a small little package. I thought this was a really neat little uh, a little product, and and it and it and it, and it does have a, 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 it, it does plug into the side of your MacBook uh, or MacBook Air Pro as the USB C, and uh, make it really easy to charge your watch. Um, Charlie, do you do you get into any of the chargers? Do you use any type any type of chargers besides the one that came with the watch? I actually bought a well, I got it for Christmas. It's a phone, watch, and AirPods charger which is kind of great. And so the phone sits at a 45 degree angle, the watch sits on top and the AirPods mm-hmm. sit behind the phone. And it's a real nice little design. I think what you're describing would be great for travel because it sounds like it's yeah. teeny tiny. Just put that in your yeah. travel bag and keep that for whenever, whenever we get to go out on trips again. You yeah. Know? That, that, that traveling we haven't done. In right. Exactly. Here. You remember travel, right? Yeah. <laughs> like like you, you, you just talked about CES with Tom Merritt and I, and I was uh, on your podcast and uh, yeah, I, I did the virtual CES and I missed it. So a lot of, yep. a lot of traveling that uh, we have, have missed this, this past year. So uh, Warren, what'd you think of this? Is this something you're going to run out and buy? Uh, traveling is good. That's what I think. Um, <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I saw this. I, I thought about getting it, but I, I actually have this in two forms. I, I mean, I, I have both of these things separated. So I have the thing that looks uh, the thing on the right, the uh, the uh, AirPod charger thing. I have something that looks exactly like that. And then I have something mm-hmm. similar to the one on the left. So I could glue them together and make, uh, <laughs> make my own yeah. if I wanted to. All right. And then um, a couple of stories about, uh, about uh, Apple TV and apps related to uh, to Apple TV uh, 9 to 5 Mac here is CBS and Showtime, which, which they had a bundle that's going to be no longer available through the Apple TV app ahead of the Paramount Plus launch. If uh, anybody isn't familiar, about a week ago, uh, CBS All Access and Showtime bundle for Apple Plus TV Plus is no longer available, uh, lasting only five months since it was launched back in August 2020. So apparently that they aren't getting very much, didn't get much traction for that $10 a month uh, through the uh, through through that bundle. Uh, it's no longer going to be able to, you're not, if you are already a subscriber of it with that bundle, you can keep it. It's no longer possible to sign up as a new user. So as CPS is preparing to sunset uh, the CBS all access in, in favor of their new streaming platform, which if anybody watched the Super Bowl had, they had ads all over yep. talking about Paramount plus, which uh, is going to be launching in the U S uh, as we record this coming up in a, a little over a little less than a month at on March 4th. Uh, but they've not officially confirmed this. Um, and, uh, this seems like the similar type of events when happened when the HBO did it when they launched HBO Max last year. Or so, um, so it's going to be unclear to see what, where the bundle goes. Um, and uh, Warren, what do you think of this? Uh, my, my only thought was uh, we were confused about the uh, the Super Bowl commercials at first. The yeah. first one or two were like, what, "What's going on here? And why are all these people here?" And they had like a um, 
what the, what that what cartoon was it? They had a couple cartoon characters there. Oh, on, oh, on probably Nickel. I was uh, SpongeBob. I think was it SpongeBob? Was like, oh yeah, they yeah. did the the, the the SpongeBob when he sang uh, like uh, at the Super Bowl or something like that. Um, yeah, I I mean I don't know what the service is going to have uh, on it, but uh, what is it? It's basically CBS and Showtime. CBS All Access, and then the movies, and probably expanding more of the Paramount because they have the whole Paramount catalog. So. Yeah, it's uh, getting... on the Paramount network, the Paramount network, which uh, used to be Spike TV, if I remember correctly, um, a while getting, back. It's getting old. All these, uh, yeah, all these, all these uh, changes. Streaming services is getting yeah. old. That's what I think. Shelly, uh, do you subscribe to any of these uh, these types of of, of uh, streaming streaming shorts services, or, or did you have CBS All Access? I, I I go back and forth. I'm one of these people who will subscribe for a couple of months and then switch away from it because I. Yeah. I, and I've had CBS All Access. I would like, okay, I'm going to watch some Star Trek for a while, and then I would. That's what I it, did, <laughs> right? And I, you know, does any? I can't tell you the name of a show on Showtime. I mean, I'm sure there are some, and that they're lovely, yeah. but I can't tell you. And and the thing about Paramount, I'm I'm a back catalog person. I love old movies, mm-hmm. and honestly, there's a lot of back catalog in Paramount that has not seen the light of day up to now. And I would only be excited about this service if they said, you know what, all that pre-1949 stuff, I love old stuff, uh, will, oh, yeah. you know, we'll sh- see the light of day. But to be honest, given the number of bundles that are out there, the number of streaming services rather that are just bundling content and basically saying, you know, you're going to have to, the price of entry is going to be something like 10 to $20 a month. It's yeah. just, I don't know how they're all going to survive. And the problem is if they don't all survive, there's going to be a lot of great content out there that's going to be hard to find. And I feel like that's what's going to happen next is that we're just going to be like, okay, if we don't buy all of them, something's going to die. And then where's all that stuff going to go? And I don't know. And it's, yeah. it's, no, I agree with you. I mean, like HBO max, they had the, the, the TCM catalog of all the old movies on there too. So yeah. Well, so they don't have all of them. See, and, I, and some that, of them, that is some of them, that's right. Right. But that's, that's the point. Like, you have a service like that and you have, you rotate back catalog stuff in and out and you use the most popular stuff to attract audience, which makes total sense, but they're, yeah. they don't have any interest in making a complete catalog available, which as a movie nerd is what I yeah. want. There you go. <laughs> and then uh, the, the other story that fed right into that too was the uh, the third generation Apple TV, which we know is losing lots of support as of late. Uh, last week we talked about YouTube is no longer going to be on there. You're going to have to airplay it. I think all well, the same thing is going to happen to the CBS All Access transition. They're no longer going to have uh, an app that's automatically on that device anymore, since as most as everybody knows, the Apple TV third gen is is uh, got fixed apps. You don't have an app store like you do on the fourth and the 4K version. Um, so you'll start seeing pop-ups that, that you won't be able to log into that app anymore and it will be stopped being, being available as soon as it's released in March. So you'll be, uh, doing uh, lots of airplay on the, on the Apple TV, uh, third gen, I think, uh, pretty soon here. Then it'll, it'll become a brick and who knows, probably soon after that. Uh, what'd you think, Warren? I'm surprised they haven't, nobody's, uh, hacked it or jailbroke it yet. Cause if you yeah. remember the, the first Apple TV the first was, yeah. was, was big. And you know, even after the second and third were out, were out, people are still buying that first gen because it's like it had hard drive and you could actually do things with it. So, um, yeah, I'm surprised nobody's figured out a way into that thing at this point, because, uh, again, they're just going to turn into bricks or cheap airplay devices, uh, at this yeah. point. I think I have three laying around my house. I got um, at least two. <laughs> I don't know what they're doing, but you know, I, I could probably use them for something. I just don't know what yet. Yeah. Did you, you, you use Apple TV, Shelly, and then you have, the, do you have the, I never devices? had a third gen one. I have a fourth generation yeah. one, which I use on occasion. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't. I feel bad for anybody who has a third generation one and who hasn't wanted to upgrade. I can't see that there's much point in hacking a device that old. I think you just switch to another platform, especially since Apple content, if that's what you're interested in, is available other places and even AirPlay. You know, there's smart TVs now that are getting AirPlay. It's like what what's the point of the old Apple TV? And we're starting to get to the point of what's the old the point of an Apple TV device? Because Apple finally figured out that they have to had to open yeah. up. And I like there are certain things I like about the Apple TV interface that not not the third generation one because it doesn't support apps and doesn't have the same you know level of accessibility and stuff. But uh, that platform overall feels like it's going to have to change and grow and maybe even go away at some point. 
Now, does does the Apple TV? Did you find it has good? Has Apple done a good job with accessibility on the on the newer generation? Generally speaking, I mean they they do. Um, it's it's a little. There are weird things about it. The the main issue with accessibility on the Apple TV is the is the accessibility within apps. And then there are some apps that have done a good job. And you can't assume that because an app is accessible on one platform that that accessibility carries over to another. Apple TV is far better than average. Like if you said, all right, give me a streaming platform and and give me a bundle full of popular apps, you know, CBS and Hulu and Amazon and Disney and, and all, you know, just pick pick half a dozen of them, whichever they are. Overall, the Apple TV is probably going to have among the better levels of accessibility, but that doesn't mean those individual apps are all accessible. And that's not Apple's fault. Apple put out the guidelines and said, here, make it accessible. And people like Hulu said, I'm sorry, I can't hear you. What did you say? <laughs> exactly. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I hear you. Uh, and then, um, then, uh, Next story here was actually a Google Fi has decided they're going to be expanding VPN to iPhone users starting in the spring uh, coming up uh, this year. Uh, Google announced uh, th- that they will be expanding Google Fi's built-in VPN service to the iPhone starting the spring, providing iOS users with another option to ensure that their connection is secure and private on a cellular or Wi-Fi network. Google also says that the VPN is exiting out of beta uh, for Android smartphone users. Like we don't really care about that uh, with VPN users, of course, can stream browse and download on encrypted and private connections. And uh, it, of course, Google Fi used to be called project Fi when it first came out and they were, they were, they're now a carrier that's now based in piggybacks off of uh, T-Mobile and U S cellular networks. Uh, and they did, they, they did roll it out to iOS devices. So, uh, I think it was late last year. So, um, Warren, do you use a VPN at all on iOS? I don't. I don't. Not on iOS. I, I have one on my Mac. Uh, I use yeah. it every so often, but not on iOS. I'd never really. I mean, there's not much you could do on on a. Well, there is, but there's nothing I've right. thought about doing. Not that I do anything bad, you know. Well, as you far could as watch we Star know. Trek Discovery on Netflix, <laughs> you could, or you could, you know, maybe get a hold of, uh, you know, the WandaVision when you don't have Disney Plus. There's things you could do. Um, naughty you know, things, naughty <laughs> things. Um, but um, you know, just the the, the whole VPN with uh, Google. It's when you try to talk to somebody who's like a, one of those Google security, uh, you know, uh, not. Jobs, I would like to say, <laughs> the ones that are so like against Google that like, yeah. yeah. And then you say, oh, but they're, but they're making a private with VPN and watch their head explode and try to figure out what that's going to mean for them. But uh, my my nephew uh, has Google Fi. He's had it since it came out. He has a he's always had a Pixel, or now yeah. he has a Samsung, and he likes it. He says, uh, it's a, it's a weird system. It's not unlimited. It is. It's like you have to pay as you go, but it right. still comes out pretty cheap for the most part. So I've heard decent things about it. Shelly, do you use a VPN at all on your iOS device? I, back when we were traveling again, I used it primarily for you going to unsecured Wi-Fi networks. So mm-hmm. I had a deal for a while. I used TunnelBear and for a while, yeah. I think you can still do it where you can buy a, a year's subscription. And if you buy it that way, it's really cheap. And I would only run it when I was, I used to work a lot at coffee shops or when I would travel and I would just use it for that. Not so much for occasionally media content. There's some stuff from Canada that I wanted to watch and I would do that, sure. but um, I'm not going to Google for my VPN. Sorry. That's just not. Happening. Yeah. That's what I, was, I was waiting for someone to say that. I said, no. yeah, I, I'm a, I'm an express BV, express VPN customer, which I'm very happy and they have a very good robust service. And yeah, I agree. I don't think I'd be, utilizing any of Google's VPNs. The <laughs> nice thing I found out with, with TunnelBear, I my subscription uh, lapsed in November. I think I had gotten some sort of holiday-based deal a year ago, and it lapsed in November. And when I was looking at all my subscriptions, I, I looked at it and I was like, oh, I bet that'll cost me a lot to go back and get. But the deal is still the same, and my account is just sort of sitting there parked waiting. So at some point, if I'm ever able to you know, go work in coffee shops again, I'll just turn it back on, and I'll get that same deal <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. You just got to be what I was going to say is, you, you know, VPNs are still companies. And if you do a, like a like a search on the web, say VPN caught and then hit enter, you'll find article seven VPN service found recording user logs, even though they said they don't. And there's a whole bunch of things like that. So, I mean, it's it's, you know, everybody, everybody thinks they're impermeable uh, with VPNs, but it's still it's still a tech company. So, you know. Be careful. 
Yes. Be very careful. Um, and then, um, uh, one, uh, one last story I have here is um, another product that I wanted to talk about: pop sockets. Pop sockets are very popular among. I, I'm not a big pop sockets fan, but I know a lot of a lot of people like them because they've got the little socket and you got it right between your fingers. You can hold the phone. Well, they just they announced today a new a new a pop socket accessory. This was on Mac Rumors actually uh, today as we record this. Uh, the pop socket two photo. It is a uh, it's a stand that attaches to the back of the pop grip, installs on an iPhone, and now you're able to attach it to any tripod using your pop socket uh comes in different it comes in black and it's uh compatible with uh, the quarter inch uh, uh, uh 20 tripods so it's which is standard um and they make a, of course a wider range of other accessories i'm not a pop socket user i just, i know you're, you're not born right I, I i went through a pop socket phase um about two years ago where i, I had a bunch of them um my wife still has a few and I thought they were doing something with the MagSafe. Did they ever come out with the, the MagSafe pot, pot yes, sockets? Yes, I believe they did. Yeah, because they've got an actual um, Qi charger that actually has the indentation that allows you to put the, the iPhone into there so it charges. So it charges, uh, yes. I might, might look at that. And I saw the, the, the product here with the uh, tripod. I mean, if you, if you – I'm thinking about it and, you know, at work, we, we do – use a tripod with a iPad and an iPhone here and there. So, you know, it could come in handy, but uh, I, I'm not tripoding myself here at home. Yeah. So I don't really no. need it. I hear you. I, uh, Jill, you don't use a pop socket on your phone. Do you? I don't. I, I like the idea of the tripod. I can think of several uses. Yeah. Uh, Zoom calls, certainly. Uh, I probably wouldn't work for a phone because I use an iPad for this, but I like teleprompter apps on the iPad. So sometimes when I'm reading, uh, sometimes when I'm on a podcast or radio show or something like that, I have to read a script. And so I like to hang the iPad or tripod Mm. it or put it high up in some way. And uh, if I could do that with a phone in theory, that would work. But I think mostly if I use it, it would be for Zoom calls, things like that. So when I don't have my laptop nearby, sometimes I have a daily meeting I do on Zoom now. And that's right at noon. And sometimes I get really hungry and I'd like to take my phone into my kitchen and be in the meeting on the yeah. phone in the kitchen. So, <laughs> well, in fact, I, the camera I'm using right now is, is uh, using the, um, uh, using, using it, uh, using the camo studio. And, uh, I've been a 10 R sitting on a tripod right next to me now. So I played uh, with that. So that's it, a fun app. I like it. I haven't used it, yeah, it much, is. but. Yep. So, uh, so let's uh, go ahead. That's the stories for this week. Let's uh, go into our, our, our weekly uh, topic on beta. Beta this week is, at, is still at iOS uh, 14.5, beta 1. I didn't see much changes, but there were a lot of uh, uh, settings changes that I that we that I, we, we found out this week, including um, Siri setting that allows uh, iOS beta users to set their default music streaming service. Um, uh, so... Uh, that they announced these beta versions, but now you actually can go into to, to the S lady and set, which is your default uh, music service as well as they're talking about podcasts. So you, you'll be able to have the ability to do that. Um, and uh, you will also have uh, the ability to uh, uh, do some safe browsing. So uh, Warren, have you, and you, you, the, you, the beta, the beta guy here, um, mm-hmm. have you t- tried any of this yet? I haven't. Um, I, I don't have another music service installed on my phone, so I haven't tried that yet. Um, the the maps thing I haven't tried yet, but I should. Um, and I haven't tried the other one. Uh, I'm still fascinated with the, uh, the the unlock with the mask feature. So, <laughs> yeah, I figured you were. Yeah, I, I mean, go, I, go with your, your 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 headphone your your headphone uh, mask that didn't didn't pan, pan out too well. Well, right. Oh yeah, I got yeah that. I, I got this thing from CES, Shelley, uh, the, that they announced. It's a it's a mask with with a built in microphone and earphones, and they oh God. they they, they it, was it, horrible. To, it was horrible. It it was basically something. I mean, that's three points of failure right there. Like, you know, one, yeah. you, you pay 50 bucks or whatever it is. And it's like, oh, the microphone doesn't work. Well, now I just have a useless thing and the mask is old and dirty. And okay. Yeah. It, it was Sorry. literally like, it was literally <laughs> like a regular mask. And then, you know, like if I took a pair of like $5 earphones and like sewed them into it, it was, it was. Oh my good. God, that's terrible. <laughs> it was yeah, horrible. horrible. That does but, sound uh, like a total CES thing. Like, oh, <laughs> well, the, I mean, the concept is good. If you do did it right it would be good but it just wasn't done right um but back to uh back to what we were talking about 
What was it? Uh, so we have the default streaming service is, is, yeah, is one of the things right. that's going to be available. And then um, default podcast player, which I find interesting too. Um, I'm seeing a trend here. I'm seeing a trend that you know, Apple's you know, worrying about you know, their monopolistic ways of having to say, hey, you have to use our, our apps. But they already gave in on mail. They already gave in on browsers. So now they've moved now on to the podcasting and music player too. Well, the podcast think? thing is great. I mean, I think for a yeah. long time, Apple has been far behind a lot of its competitors in terms of, I haven't used Apple Podcasts in ages. Every once in a while, for the yeah. book, I have to update it every year and I look at it and I'm like, oh, I guess I better subscribe to a couple things in Apple Podcasts. <laughs> and then I get it, get rid of it as quickly as I can. The music thing I like, I, I switch back, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm terrible with subscription services. I switch back and forth. And right now I'm using Apple Music. But I'm probably going to be going back to Spotify at some point. I mainly do it because I have free, free trials and stuff. But, uh, sure. yeah, I love the idea that you can switch. And especially if you want to use other devices to play your music, if you're going to airplay it, if you're going to go to a HomePod or something like that. I mean, that's uh, anything that will do airplay. And uh, you can use your phone as a conduit for all that. I think it's great. I'm happy yeah. Apple's doing that. Yeah, me too. A um, couple other things that were happening. Uh, uh, Apple Maps, uh, they're uh, they're adding a Waze-like feature in there with uh, crowdsourcing, uh, which I found to be really interesting. Uh, Orr and I both talked about this yesterday on uh, Mac to the Future with Guy uh, Searle. Um, this is an interesting uh, uh, com- coming out with the Apple Maps feature that's going to allow you to be able to report accidents, hazards, and speed checks along the way. So if you want to be able to report that accident uh, or hazard or speed check, uh, you can do it uh, from within uh, Apple Maps and as well as through CarPlay on Apple Maps. So it's going to have a nice big uh, button on there. You can tap, oh, there's an accident here. You can tap it and report it. So interesting and doing it to similar to what Google does with Waze. So what I haven't tried, what I haven't tried is if you actually need to be in the maps, if you actually need to be like in an active map to do it. Because it would actually be good if you're just driving around and say, hey, yes, there's an accident here, you know. Yeah. I, well, I'll with the pictures they're showing on Mac Rumors, it looks like uh, that, that someone, they were in a trip and they went and tapped and reported an accident right where they were. So a live test. Yeah. There's an accident Most of the time, you're probably not navigating with maps. If you're in your own hometown, you're not navigating, right? So you don't right. even have it open. Okay. Sending report. <laughs> uh, yeah. And it just open up maps, so you don't even so. Like, uh, oh, I don't know. Is that bad mm-hmm. if it could have, like, you know, that there's an accident in my house? Now but you yeah. cause trouble. <laughs> so you do not have to be in a maps app if you're driving somewhere and you see traffic or uh, an accident. You just say, "Hey, as there's an accident," and she opened up yep. maps and marked it. Um, couple other one other thing other people were up in arms with this past week was youtube's website uh, picture in picture works again in ios 14.5 beta because you know everybody is freaking out anytime you can't uh, do picture in picture with youtube when you're watching a video um so apparently it, it broke for a bit and then uh, now it's working again so let's hope uh, youtube keeps that working because that's that's been an on on again and off again uh, uh problem with the picture in picture, especially if you're not a, uh, a premium subscriber, which I am. Uh, so we'll be interesting to see where that goes. So, um, all right, well, that's beta for this week. We went through that and, uh, I wanted to move on and talk about, uh, Shelly's new updated book, iOS access for all. So you updated it for iOS 14 and, uh, Shelly, how long have you been uh, publishing this book now? Since iOS seven. So that goes, I thought back, so. that goes back to 2014. Uh, it's funny because, <laughs> The way it happened, iOS 6 was still a thing, and I thought I'm going to do a version for iOS 6 really quick, and then when iOS 7 comes out, how big of an update could that be? That's not going to Oh, oh, it's iOS 7. There's a lot. <laughs> ah, and I, I didn't end up publishing the iOS 6 version, which I think was good, because once we sort of learned what iOS 7 was going to be, I just like changed my plan completely, and so I've been doing it since then. <laughs> No, it's an awesome book, I, and I, I look forward to to talking to you. Uh, we, you were first time on the show last year, and I'm, I'm going to look forward every year after that because you just have some amazing updates on it. Thanks. And I th- I highly recommend uh, this book. And uh, um, some of the things I wanted to talk about was uh, um, what really what you, uh, without we don't read not reading the whole book here, but we want to, we want to go through and actually find out some of the, the highlighted features that were released for accessibility in iOS 14 that you that you uh, you covered. Sure. Well, there's several features that have to do with VoiceOver, the screen reader that's part of iOS, and uh, 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 
artificial intelligence or augmented reality, uh, artificial intelligence primarily. Uh, and so it's just to, to back up a little bit, a screen reader basically reads the interface if you're blind or visually impaired or has some other print disability. And voiceover is the name of the screen reader that's part of iOS. I never know how many people know that. So I feel like I should explain it. No, uh, thank you. But what they did in iOS 14 was add a number of features that allow voiceover to describe what's being seen either in the camera or on the iOS screen. And collectively, those features are called voiceover recognition. So the practical application, for example, is you could take your phone and uh, in the camera app or the magnifier app, you can point it around your room or your neighborhood, and it'll have it identify things like uh, that's a red car, that's a street, that street sign, that's a, and it'll actually uh, read street signs or other incidental text it finds uh, in your environment. And that's useful if you're visually impaired and you want to know what does that sign say. You want to know, oh, I think there's a, I'm going down the street to, uh, they said there's going to be a red car out front. Oh, well, there's a house with a red car. Now maybe I'll find the house number. Uh, any number of reasons that you might want to know what the images are in your camera. Uh, the other thing, and this is a really interesting uh, tool that they added, um, a lot of apps are voiceover compatible, which means that the uh, voiceover screen reader will read what's, what's in the app interface. It'll read the menus, it'll read the button labels. Sometimes apps are not compatible. And what happens if you in voiceover are reading an app like uh, or using an app like that is you'll get button, 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 label, label, label. And that doesn't mean anything to somebody who's blind or visually impaired. Well, sure. screen recognition uh, using the machine learning in the phone will now actually attempt to identify what those interface items are. So, for example, the but the back button at the top left of uh, most uh, menu, most screens, it knows what that looks like. So it'll say that's a back button or it'll it'll read a label that has a word that hasn't been identified in the voice in the accessibility API. So even though that label is perfectly legible in print, it's not been you know made made accessible. So that's a really cool way to make apps that aren't otherwise accessible at least partially accessible. It's not perfect, but basically, uh, voiceover recognition is doing a combination of providing information about your environment around you and information that's on your phone screen. Another thing I'll mention is image recognition that's also within the voiceover recognition suite. So how often have you seen a tweet where there is another tweet or something else uh, that's pictured? So they've put an image in the tweet, but it has text in it. That is the most annoying thing in the world if you're blind because you can't read that. That doesn't have text. So what image recognition does is essentially OCRs that text and reads it for you. There've always been ways to get around it. You could take an image and scan it uh, in the phone and, and have it, but, but I'd have it read to you, but it's like two or three extra steps. And so the whole voiceover recognition suite uh, with machine learning has made it possible to automate a lot of that stuff and, and just, you know, make, give you better information about your environment. Yeah, that's great. And, um, for some of the other features, you, you, yeah. you I, one thing I, I, I know everybody's really liking the magnifying glass or the magnifier uh, that I, I know that's become a mainstream thing now because it's in, it's in the, yeah. uh, you can put it in uh, uh, now the magnifier that it's in, that's in for, for low vision. Um, uh, they've done some more updates on that, right? Magnifier came out first in, I think iOS 11 and in mm -hmm. iOS 14, they gave it sort of a facelift. Uh, they also made it sort of a quasi app before you would enable it with accessibility shortcut and right. it wouldn't appear on your home screen, but you could call it up with a, a triple tap of the home button back when we had home, home buttons. But now once you enable it in settings, it'll show up as an app on your home screen or in control center. And so you can use it just the way you would use a magnifying glass. It has levels of zoom that are based on the quality of your camera. It also has the ability to, to change contrast. You can freeze frame. So for example, I will take and magnify a label for something I want to cook. I want to read the recipe on it, or I want to read what's in it, and I'll freeze frame that. And then I can look at it to my heart's content, even after I've put the box down. There's a special feature in Magnifier for iOS, uh, for iPhone 12 Pro, 12 Pro Max, and 2020 iPad Pros, all of which have the LiDAR sensor, and that's called people detection. And using LiDAR, 
People detection allows your phone to tell you whether there is a person in your vicinity and how far away they are from you. And that's useful if you want to maintain social distance, for example. It's just it's coincidental yeah. that it came out in 2020. But it's also helpful, like if you're a blind person and you're walking uh, through a train or a bus and you want to find out which chair is occupied or not occupied without having to touch the person nearby, you can use your phone to identify whether there's a person nearby. So people detection, again, is is only available in the LiDAR-equipped devices. What's exciting about people detection, and obviously Apple isn't telling us this, but the use of LiDAR for an accessibility feature says a lot about what kind of accessibility we might expect if Apple ever does any sort of wearable devices, because I think a big issue for people who have accessibility interests is whether, say, glasses or VR headsets would be accessible to them because it's such a visual environment. But the fact that they're using LiDAR in this way and not just taking a feature that everybody else has and finding a way to make it make it accessible, but creating a custom accessibility feature using the hardware and software that's already in the phone. That's pretty exciting stuff. Yeah, really exciting. I, I, I LiDAR is just amazing. And I, I think uh, th- there's just more and more we are going to be able to do with LiDAR with accessibility, but with, you know, with just photography in general. So it's, yep. it's really great. Um, and then as far as the hearing part, uh, I was intrigued. I was going to talk about this tip last week, and, and uh, but I, I wanted to save it for this week with you, um, is the sound recognition. When you enable it, uh, it does allow your device to listen to a familiar sound like a baby crying or a siren. Um, have you used that? And how do you, th- how, how is that, how does that really work? It works surprisingly well. Basically, there are a number of sounds listed in settings. You can't tune it to particular sounds. Yeah. Baby crying, water running, a loud alarm, a phone ringing. There, there are, I think, maybe eight or ten of them. And basically what you do is once you turn sound recognition on and tell the phone, this is the sound I want you to listen for, whenever it hears it, it'll flash an LED flash at you. So if you want to know whether your doorbell's ringing or your baby's crying or your water's running, Uh, And it's a great feature, which, again, I feel like has so much potential because those are specific sounds and it's tempting to go, well, why didn't they do? I think dog bark and cat meow is in there, but, oh, why didn't they do my favorite sound? Well, this is essentially the opportunity for you to see what the technology makes possible. There's all sorts of ways they could improve this in the future. But as a practical matter, knowing whether your baby is crying or your doorbell is ringing, that's pretty darn useful for somebody with a hearing impairment. Yeah. And then the other one, the other one that was a lot of press got, it got like a lot of press when iOS 14 first came out was the back tap uh, <laughs> doing, I mean, the, the, the assistive touch, yeah. uh, being able to back tap. I, and then many of, many people were turning it on, but, you know, right. especially when you set the back tap to do a screenshot, like I'd be doing screenshots like crazy, but with the back tap, uh, how, how is that uh, as far as the physical motor part of, of accessibility helped uh, people with that? Well, that's, what's funny because back tap is, I'll say a couple things about it. It really did capture the the mainstream's attention. And the way the way I used it when I was working on the book, I used a triple tap for for I think I had a, a shortcut connected to a triple tap that would not would take no, I think I don't think I had it taking the picture. I think it had it taking the picture on screen and doing something to it because I was moving it to I was using files and moving it to iCloud Drive and you know, getting it ready to put in the book or something like that. I forget exactly what shortcut I had, but, and then my double tap, because I use both uh, dark mode and uh, smart invert colors, because it's easier for me to work with the phone when the screen is dark and the text is light. And that's my double tap. But as far as how it's used by people who actually have a motor disability, it's kind of an interesting thing because it's not intuitive that the most easy thing to do would be to take your finger and tap kind of hard on the back of your phone because people with motor touch disabilities often have difficulty touching the phone with sufficient force to cause a gesture to happen. And there are other features like with uh, assistive touch and with switches and, and touch accommodation that actually account for that and accommodate for that. And so I think back tap is mostly about being able to hold your phone in such a way that that finger that's naturally behind the phone gets to 
do something, gets to do part of the, gets to do the gesture. Even if you're front, even if the finger in front of the phone, even if you moved your other hand around and were trying to do a gesture, you might have difficulty with it. And it also, it's kind of, again, it's a, it's a little bit of a, a proof of concept too, because there are a couple of other features buried within accessibility that do the same sort of thing. For example, uh, you can create your own voiceover gesture that will do any command you give to it, whether it be a shortcut or whether it be taking a screenshot. So I can make up my own little voiceover gesture and, you know, swipe down to the left on my phone or quadruple tap with five fingers or whatever, any gesture that's available to me that's not used for something else. And there's a couple of other places in iOS too, where they've essentially created the ability for you to map a gesture or an action to something that it's not intended for, which is great because that means that as they continue to evolve the phone and the, the operating system in such a way that like it does more and more stuff, if I physically can't do that stuff for some reason, if I can't do it the way the mainstream would, I've got three or four other ways to do it, whether it's making a voiceover gesture or using a back tap or creating a shortcut. It Apple is saying to me, all right, well, I didn't think about the fact that you wouldn't be able to do this gesture in the way that it's typically done. But you know what? Here's an interface over here that's going to allow you to do it in the way that's most convenient for you. Yeah, no, it's 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 definitely it was definitely unique. And like you, like we said, mainstream jumped on this quick. Uh, but uh, it's a wonderful book. I, I, I not only do you do a lot of great stuff about accessibility, but I, I like how you've you've really gone through and talk about history of what's going on with Apple and what they've changed, the services that are available. You described the iPhone, which is great. We're going to talk about iPhone here in a minute. Um, but uh, no, it's, it's really a well laid out book. And, and I think it's a great read for anybody, even if you're not as need the accessibility information, I think it's still worth it. And being able to take, take a look and read this book. It's really great. I appreciate you saying that. I, I feel like there's a tendency with accessibility to only talk about accessibility, but everybody who right. has an iPhone with a disability also needs to know what iCloud drive is, or also needs to know how the yeah. control center works. And so I couldn't explain the things I needed to explain without that context. And because nobody was telling me that I had a word count limit, I kind of just kept going. So. Oh, that's what I, I mean. It's a, it's, that's what I really liked. I mean, you talked about iTunes match, you talk about iTunes, you talk about the Apple music. You're talking about all the stuff that we all use all the time, but you know, people who have some accessibility issues, they have that, that, that they, they have to, that they need these uh, uh, available on the iPhone. You need to know about these services too and what they can, right. you know, what they can do. So no, I, you know, it, it's just a, it's just a great read. And I definitely, we definitely have links in the, sh in the show notes on how to get, uh, get the book and, uh, and, and grab it. Uh, and, uh, I appreciate you giving us some insights on the accessibility, um, kind of moving on a little bit. And, and you mentioned earlier in the show, you had, uh, we were able to get some review units for uh, the iPhone 12 and, and the 12 pro. Um, I was curious uh, as far as accessibility goes, you know, I know in the book you talk about this, you know, Apple took a long time to, I mean, I remember reading back when you said, uh, I mean, I had a 3GS too, and I know you say that's your that was your first iPhone, uh, and it was very difficult for anybody with the with the limitations with accessibility back in those days. But Apple's come obviously a long way. How, how is how's the Apple, how's the 12 uh, really uh, uh, gone from from back then to to, to today? Well, the 12, I mean, most of accessibility is a software function, as you can imagine. Right. And Physical, so I meant. Yeah. every once in a while, there is something that's done in hardware that has accessibility implications. And the 12 is not a real good exemplar of that. The 10s are a better exemplar because when the home button went away, it hmm. meant that gestures had to change. And I think for some people... Uh, with physical disabilities or even for blind people, the change to swiping up uh, was a challenge because there's an alternative version of that for voiceover. So if you're talking about the 12 specifically, there's not a lot in terms of things that are new in accessibility. Uh, well, there's not a lot about the 12 that is specific to accessibility other than, say, the LiDAR and the support for uh, AI-based features like voiceover recognition. And that's supported in the hardware, but it's, you know, turned on in the software, if that makes any sense. Okay. So, but it sounds like you're happy with uh, the 12 for, for your, you want it to be your daily driver? Uh, I don't know. Or? I'm, I'm cheap. I'm, I think I'm probably going to, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to end up sending it back. I'll be honest. I love the 12 pro because, and it's mm -hmm. not even just the LIDAR, even the 12, people talk so much about the 12 pro and 12 pro max cameras because people who care about cameras pick those two phones, which makes yeah. sense. But the 12 camera is 
great. The low light photography and the 12 camera is amazeballs. Yeah. And the only reason that I know that the 12 Pro is better is because I have one. If I didn't have one and if I were comparing it to my 10R, which is still a fine phone, uh, I, I wouldn't know. I would, you know, I would still I would be super impressed by the 12 and I am impressed by the 12. It's it's uh, yeah. it's low light photography is you know, really quite amazing. And if you're uh, not the best photographer in the world, it'll compensate for your mistakes. And oh, by the way, it's got all the uh, AI based accessibility features. So I can point my camera or my magnifier app at something and have it tell me what's going on in ways that it couldn't before. So it's a solid release. And I, you know, I said along, I said when the, the line was announced that I love the idea that they basically created a baseline so you're not having to choose whether you get the crappy processor or the good processor you just you're choosing really fine-grained stuff like do i want the best camera or do i want the better camera or do i want the tiny phone and it just makes it easier to sort of justify your choice which is why i'm still so sad that the iphone mini isn't doing better yeah yeah i agree with you um warren did you have anything to add before we move on to the uh the, the tips for this week um, no, just, uh, you, you know, definitely got me thinking a lot. And um, you know, my only comment is a lot of these accessibility features make it into the main, the mainstream, but they also make it into the in-between, like where I am now, where my visions, you know, I, I use magnifier all the time and I didn't, wouldn't have needed it maybe five, 10 years ago, but I do now. And, uh, you know, it's a great feature. I, you know, I can't, I'm either putting on reading glasses or using magnifier. Um, and, you know, the same with, um, you know, uh, the, uh, the, the, the sound thing with the dogs barking. I use that too. Cause I sleep with, uh, uh, earplugs in my ears cause my wife uh, watches TV and it's good to have something to, uh, if my dogs bark to know if they're barking. Um, so, you know, a lot of these accessibility features are, you know, just great features on the phone that, um, that, you know, that a lot of times they just make it into the mainstream because, you know, people see how great they are. So I'm into yeah. it. Yeah. No, that, that's great. I really, pre- I really appreciate your comments on that. And, uh, let's uh, go ahead and uh, we'll move on to a couple tips here. Um, actually I found this was an interesting tip, but uh, this was, uh, an article nine to five Mac. I didn't even know about this. Um, the AirPods, so AirPods and the AirPods pro, um, I've got a pair of AirPods that are actually the first generation AirPods and um, they, they originally launched back in 2016. I can't believe it's been five years <laughs> since the AirPods first came out. Uh, and um, they, they've got distinct models now with the, the AirPods and the AirPods Pro. You you and I both are using the AirPods Pro Warren. Um, but uh, they don't give any specifics as how how many uh, battery cycles would be left for, for this. Uh, and, 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 these old AirPods had had died pretty quickly on I me. Mean, I think within a year to two years, they were already the, diminished in, in this. So, um, but this company uh, actually came out here as far as uh, uh, offering a replacement, and it'll, it'll be it'll be with the AirPods, the AirPods uh, Max, which I don't wouldn't understand. You wouldn't be doing that because you already got warranty for those. And what they'll do is they'll they'll actually send you a refurbished, clean, and 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 uh, updated version, but with the same the same model of your AirPods uh, for like around sixty bucks, and it's cheaper than than going out and buying a new pair if you didn't want to. So you swap. Basically, what you do is you you put the order in, you swap it, and uh, it. Uh, uh, you, you order it. They'll sh- they're going to ship you uh, a, a new set that you keep the case, but you get the new uh, AirPods, and then you um, send back the old ones, and and for about half the cost of what a, a new pair of AirPods would be. Um, so I thought this was interesting. It's a company called Pod Swap, relatively new service, and I actually tried it. I'm actually going. I went and bought them, and uh, it looks like for for the AirPods it's fifty nine ninety nine, and then for the um, AirPods. Uh, 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 if you, if you, uh, I believe uh, the AirPods Pro will be a little more, uh, but, uh, some easy options to take a look at this. Uh, Warren, what'd you think? This, I thought this is pretty cool. Yeah, I'm looking at now, uh, AirPods, uh, the Pro. No, they don't have the Pro yet today. They have the, you could get one or two right now. So one's 59 and yeah. the other's 89. Um, yeah, I mean, I, um, I think I might have a pair of old ones lying around. I might. Go yeah. ahead and revive them if possible. I, I just so. I just decided to do it. I said I thought this would be great. Like with shipping and everything, it's like around sixty four dollars in tax, of course. Yeah, it's not um, bad. As long as you're not getting a dirty pair, and uh, you know. Yeah, but they're going to get my dirty pair. <laughs> <laughs> I want. They must do. I mean, I don't know what they do with them. They must 
I guess yeah. they, they, I don't know. Maybe they refurbished them or throw yeah. them away, but who cares? Yeah, yeah. very cool. Shelly, Shelly, do you use AirPods at all? I do. I have second generation original AirPods. I also have a first generation pair that died and, and I would want to investigate more about how long yeah. these things would last, but I have a niece that loves everything Apple. And if I could get her a pair of AirPods yeah. for $60, she'd be pretty happy with me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, 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 She's graduating high school this year. I can't afford oh. an Apple watch for her, but maybe some AirPods. Yeah. yeah that might just be a bit of cool thing. So uh, check it out. We have links in the show notes for that. Um, couple other things I want to mention. I did this as part of tips, actually. Um, the Chrome OS uh, for iOS, Chrome, uh, I'm sorry, Chrome browser for iOS tests is now testing locking your incognito tabs with touch and face ID. Uh, while Chrome uh, for iOS hasn't seen a update just like the rest of what we talked about earlier, mm-hmm. um, the Chrome is going to let you lock the incognito tabs so they were, they'll be blurred in a tab switcher until you confirm that it's you using a touch or face ID. Google's calling it a way to add more security as you multitask across apps. Uh, this is also useful for someone using either an iPhone or an iPad to perform a new search. Uh, and they give a hypothetical scenario for this. Um, and so this is interesting to see what what they're doing with this and adding these types of features. Uh, Where did you, you think of this? I thought this was, this was interesting. The first thing I learned is how to close out all my tabs when I'm going in. <laughs> exactly. So this, this is not needed for me. I know how to close out my tabs, but... Uh, I guess if you're doing something that you don't want to be doing and you don't know how to close your tabs out, then yeah, it's a good idea. Um, the iPhone blur, it's, it's weird because the iPhone will blur some things automatically and, and mm-hmm. some things it doesn't. So it, it kind of knows, you notice that like if it's a bank uh, app, it knows how to blur it when it's switching between apps and, and um, some things it knows and something like that. Anyways. Yeah. It's, 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 it's cool. Why not? Uh, uh, Shelly, do you use a Chrome uh, browser at all? I do. Um, I, I don't use incognito nearly as much as I should. It's probably yeah. not, this is probably not something I'd end up using, but I like the reason I use Chrome is I like the ability to, and I know you do with Safari and iCloud, but I, I like the ability to sync bookmarks across not only Macs and phones, but you know, every other machine I might come across. And so I use Chrome for that reason, not so much on iOS, but I mean, it's a good feature. I'm just, I'm glad they're adding stuff like that. Sounds, sounds like a good idea. Yeah, absolutely. Then one last thing I want to talk about was um, the uh, Microsoft uh, to do. They, they, they've had a to do app for a while. Uh, I forgot that there was, they bought uh was it Wonderlist, I think it was. Yeah. And, um, and, uh, and they, they turned it into Microsoft of course. And Microsoft to do is now added a new uh, home home screen widget for iPhone and iPad. Um, and they released this update today as, uh, as we record this uh, for, for those devices. And the big focus was to being able to have the three new widgets that'll make it easier to manage your schedule from your to do list. So it's right in, into the widgets, which I think is really cool. Um, I don't know if do you, do you use this at all, Warren, to do this with the Microsoft? I do. Um, they also have a, a Windows app. So actually, I, right. I put the window. I use the Windows app because I use Apple remind. Uh, I use Apple Reminders uh, for my reminders and to do reads off that. If you have the iCloud uh, sync to it, so um, I use a I use a to do and I have it on my phone. I haven't put the widgets on because I don't think I have the space for it on my screen, but yeah. they are there. I could confirm they're there. Absolutely. So, all right. Well, I think we've come to a close of another episode. What a great discussion. And uh, we'll ask if we can find Shelly here in just a moment, but uh, let's go ahead and wrap things up. Uh, that is a wrap for this week. Please send your comments, questions, and suggestions to our email address, feedback at intouchwithios.com. You can find us, follow us on Twitter at InTouchWithIOS, or you can subscribe in your favorite podcatcher, including Apple Podcasts and many others. But better yet, go to our website at intouchwithios.com, where all the links to all the ways to listen to us are there. I am Dave Ginsburg, and you can find me on Twitter at DaveG65. And Shelly, thank you so much for being here at work and everybody find you and all your great work. Well, David Warren, thanks so much for having me. Uh, you can oh, follow yes. me on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at Shelly, S-H-E-L-L-Y. Um, I've got Twitters for the book and for the podcast, but I'll just tell you the websites for those. Uh, the podcast is Parallel Pods on Twitter uh, or just go to relay.fm slash parallel. It's a podcast about technology and accessibility 
all together in one little package. And then the book is at iosaccessbook.com. You can buy the book directly from my site in EPUB or PDF format, or I will sell you a zip file that's a combo PDF and EPUB because people want that. Or if you want to, you can buy from the Apple Bookstore, which is easier for you, but less lucrative for me. Do what you think is right. Yeah. Yeah, thanks so much. And, and uh, yeah, please go check out her podcast. Uh, that, that's an absolutely great podcast to listen to. And uh, Warren, uh, thank you as always for being here and uh, anything going on in Mac to the Future, our Facebook uh, group uh, this week. Yeah, just normal stuff, but I rather uh, thanks Shelly for being here as well. And uh, definitely it's always a good, you know, I, I learn more you know with you being on the show then you know, i think a lot of other times so um it's it's really uh, it's really beneficial for me uh i'm gonna go play with some of the things you were talking about um <laughs> but no thanks again uh, we we really yes. do appreciate coming yes yes I, I learned a few things as well i'll be going and learn some more things as well with accessibility so all right everybody thanks i hope you enjoy the show thanks so much for listening and we'll talk again soon